It had, like this was produced with a lot of seriousness. But I, I yeah. And then Miami like, Sound Machine comes in and just <laughs> the really. Miami Sound Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. It's the show where lifelong friends and musicians get together and dissect the list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. So each week, we pick an album at random from the list. We kick it around for seven days, listen to it 20 or 30 times, and come at you with our opinions on whether or not you actually need to listen to the album before you die. At the end of the episode, we'll all vote. And then we'll pick next week's album. We'll rinse, lather, repeat on and on and on until we all die of natural causes. Don't forget to like, subscribe, write a review on your favorite podcasting platform if you're digging what you're hearing. Also, don't forget to tell a like-minded friend. We're requesting if- reviews now? <laughs> Only for the last uh, 35 episodes. Right. <laughs> really? I didn't want to say that, but... But if you are digging what you're hearing, again, please like, subscribe, write a review, tell a friend. We appreciate all the help we can get in spreading the word. So this week, we've been listening to the 2017 album Melodrama by the singer-songwriter Lord. So let's just jump right in to the opening track, and then we'll come back with some tweet-length reviews and how we got through our week. So here it is, the opening track, Greenlight. Well, those great whites, they have big teeth Oh, they bite you That you said that you would always be in love But you're not in love No more Did it frighten you? How we kissed when we danced on the light of floor On the light of floor But I hear sounds in my mind There you go, gentlemen. I'm sorry. It's pop perfection. This shit grew on me so quickly. I totally dug this. But again, I don't want to poison the well. So let's throw things around <laughs> the room, even though I already did that. Let's kick it around. Let's get those tweet length reviews, my friends, of what you thought of the album. How dare you yeah. poison the well with so much positivity? <laughs> Scoundrel. So, you know, I thought a lot about my tweet length review here. You know, I'm going to take this as a moment to actually air out my core thoughts on the record. My beef with this record is actually Robert Dimery. I feel like he just took a flyer on this record. Lord's <laughs> previous record had been a big hit. She's kind of like a maybe pop sensation, maybe in, in the in the sort of like public eye. And I think he sort of just took a flyer here and he said, maybe this will be huge and I'll look brilliant in 20 years that said my tweet length review is poop emoji (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) that that is intense coming in hot hot steaming yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, this is Rob here, and my review is, like a lot of products, this is designed to be consumed and appreciated by teenage girls, but every once in a while, it goes ahead and hooks a 40-something white guy along the way. Nice. Thank you, Rob. This is Adam, and my quick review is that this week, I got back in touch with my inner 19-year-old lovesick New Zealander. And I loved every minute of it. Okay, see, it's funny you mentioned that you loved every minute of it because I have to admit, I think this week was about polarities for me, which is to say from where I started when I first hit play on the record, pretty much right after we finished the podcast last week, in fact, I felt that note of, I felt that feeling of terror wash over me. Like, oh, this is going to be a terrible week. I felt really bad. The distance I am now from that initial feeling is perhaps the widest gap I have experienced on this podcast. Dude, I, I, I'm not going to try to echo everything you're saying, but holy crap, I ha- the same thing. I, I came in and I wrote, I had a first, a first uh, edition tweet length review on like my first run through it, which was, so Lord said that she grew up listening to the likes of Billie Holiday, Sam Cooke, and Otis Redding, and that she admired them for the way they harvested their suffering. Well, Lord, if you like harvesting suffering, consider this week a bumper crop for me. <laughs> so that was my that was that was my tweet review after the first time through. And then I listened to it, you know, five days in a row. Mm-hmm. And around day five, man, it just started yeah. something started to click. My from my first listen to my fourth or fifth listen, it was a huge, a huge gap. And my first listen. Because I, I'll say I'm an unabashed fan of pop, or at least I think of myself that way, although I'm not always as up to date on on the modern pop. So I was kind of excited to dive in and hear modern pop production, soaring melodies, you know, hooks, et cetera. And so my first take was like the melodies just aren't very complex. The production is predictable. And I, even early in the week, I went and listened as a comparison point. I was like, am I tripping? Like, what's going on? I, I tried to find a couple other pop records that I thought would be, you know, rough peers of Lord. So I listened to Taylor Swift's 1989, first time, World. And I listened to Olivia Rodrigo's Sour, which is the one with driver's license on it, her debut record from the last year or so. And it kind of confirmed my suspicions, which was like, oh, these are clever, more clever lyrics, hookier, bigger songs. Olivia Rodrigo's got a little more of a rock element, which I appreciate. You know what I mean? But anyway, but the Lord record really grew on me. They there's like an intensity, kind of a low, a slow burn element to it, I think. You guys make interesting points, but I still think Dimery just took a flyer on this. <laughs> oh. I don't yeah. think this really stands up to 1989. And it's funny you you call out Taylor Swift, because that's my main note here. I immediately look to like when did 1989 come out? And 1989 came out in 1994. Excuse me, 2014, 1994. Came out in 2014, and I immediately thought, like, oh, this is sort of like a response to 1989. And I don't I don't find this to be better than 1989. Which, by the way, I've heard 1989 many times. I was, like, very familiar with it when it came out. So I, I think 1989 is good. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm, and if we want to shit on Dimery and his process, I'm more than happy to do that aspect of it. I, You know, I, I'm going to have to be convinced, to be honest, that it that, that this is an essential record. That's a that's sure. a much higher bar. Sure. But I went from feeling like I was going to have a bad week to really feeling like I ultimately had a fun week and like I might actually listen to this this maybe oh. even this whole record again. Oh, I'll agree uh, I don't know that I'll go that far, but I will agree with you that like this actually is some of these tunes are quite enjoyable, right? 
Greenlight, the fresh track being one of them. Uh, but we can dive into that as we go. Yeah, I don't think Pure Heroin, which is her first album, I don't think that's on here. So again, the methodology of Dimery to pick the sophomore album, you know, maybe he wants to show growth versus Pure Heroin, which I think from some of the reviews that I was reading of Pop at the time is that everything after that had a bit of a heroin flair to it, took some of the minimalism that Lord showed on that album and even some of her singing style, which we'll get to in just a little bit. <laughs> but let's just give a little bit of history on our friend Lord here. So she was born Ella Maria Lonnie Yelich O'Connor in 1996 in Auckland, New Zealand. She adopted the name Lord early in her career, wanting to take inspiration from the aristocracy. Quick note, it's not Lordy, which is actually a Finnish black metal band. If you're really interested, <laughs> these guys get dressed up in like, <laughs> like weird outfits and stuff. So if, if you're looking for some Finnish black metal, Lordy with an I at the end is the other one. <laughs> Imagine the disappointed teenagers who bought a ticket for that show. <laughs> This was a, it was a recent headline where someone was complaining to the ticket broker that they had bought a ticket for a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band <laughs> called the Red Knot Chili Peppers, I want to say, or something very close. So Lord's story is that she, her mother was a poet, whatever that means. Her father was a civil engineer, a mix of Irish and Croatian heritage coming in there, uh, still living in New Zealand though. She began performing in theater productions at the at the age of five, and her mother noted that she loved reading at a very young age and was very proficient in English. At 13, she and a friend won a talent show, and the prize was to perform some covers on Radio New Zealand. So her father took the recordings of those radio performances and sent them to A&R execs all over. Ultimately, Lord was signed to a three-year development deal at the tender age of 14. Mm. She's on this development deal. They're bouncing her around between different producers. Not a ton is clicking until she meets this guy named Joel Little, who worked with Imagine Dragons, Kesha, Taylor Swift, Jonas Brothers. So Joe Little and Lord get together. They work out the, the songs that ultimately wind up on Pure Heroin. And I think that her unique appearance in the music world was early on the album was put on SoundCloud and within like, I don't know, a couple days, there were like 60,000 downloads and the record execs were like, oh, we got something here. So they ripped it off SoundCloud and then started producing the album and selling it. So so her youth is a pretty big factor here that I, I think is important. I, I think we've knocked other artists one way or the other for writing in this super nostalgic way. But, you know, presumably when she's writing these songs, she probably is 19 or 20 years old, right? Yeah, so in 2013, when Pure Heroin comes out, she was 17. So she signs a publishing deal mm -hmm. for $2.5 million and releases Pure Heroin. Well, and I get, you know, let me say, my I knew Lord from her big hit, Royals, which is on that sure. record. And that stood out to me. I remember when that came into the world, so to speak, and I heard it and I took notice of it. It doesn't didn't sound like other stuff, particularly on particularly the minimalism and kind of the vocal production. Some of those elements are certainly on display in, in melodrama as well. But I, you know, I'm not I'm not terribly surprised. It did feel like a fresh new thing to me when I, I remember hearing that single and thinking, oh, this is interesting. I went back and listened to Pure Heroin yesterday, just for a point of comparison. 
You start to see the development, the progress in a career artistically, how much of that is her or the producer or both of them mm. collaborating. So after Pure Heroin comes out, Laura takes a three-year break. She said she was disillusioned with fame. She went back to New Zealand for three years where she started putting together some of these ideas, writing her poetry. And when she started to actually put the album together, she started working with a new producer, a guy named Jack Antonoff, which is different from uh, the guy who helped on the pure heroin side. So they write this album and record it over the course of three years. They release Melodrama in 2017, and it's a hit. Critically reviewed very well. I think in the first six months, it had sold 400,000 copies. But with streaming, does that number really even mean anything anymore. <laughs> I looked that Spotify alone on this album has 2 billion with a B streams. And that's just Spotify. That's not Amazon, Apple and all that stuff. So it's well, funny to think that this may have been right around the time where do album sales mean anything anymore as a useful point. metric? I don't know. But right. But in this new streaming world, I happened to notice, and this was the first time I noticed Spotify gave me this metric. I think it was only on the desktop app or when I clicked into her bio or something, that she's something like the 250th most streamed artist currently in the world. Which maybe not, maybe that doesn't sound so great, but given that this is now, I think she released another record in 2021. And I was a little surprised that Spotify even had this feature because perhaps it's because I'm not normally listening to artists that are anywhere in the top thousand most listened to artists or whatever. But, you know, then, then I went, then I was inclined to go check out people like Taylor Swift. And I think Taylor Swift is maybe in the top 30 or whatever. But the point is that she still has a lot of listenership uh, to this day. I think it's safe to say. She kind of pitched herself or whether she was pitched as an anti-pop star. So that first album, Pure Heroin, she's not on the cover. It, it's not about her. It's about the album. Even on melodrama, it's kind of an artistic uh, painting of a, of a young female on a bed you could kind of see it kind of looks like Lord, And she seems pretty down to earth. Again, in some of these interviews where people are just fawning over her, she's confident, but not cocky. Uh, when she toured at the age of, I guess, 18 for that pure heroin album, her mother came along on tour because she was technically a minor. So she seems like she's, she's pretty grounded, but, but also a pretty artistic person. So I, I appreciated learning a little bit more about her uh, during this week. So I assume we're going to dive a little deeper into this guy, Jack Antonoff, because I feel like he's definitely producer du jour, the guy that, that produced the record with her. I keep hearing about how he's working with every single major player in the, in the pop universe. He's kind of this Brooklyn hipster looking dude. He was also in that band Fun that had a huge hit that I can't think of what the name was there? of. Um, he, there was a singer who could just like belt. It's the one young. Yeah. Set yeah, the world uh -huh, on fire. Yep. Yeah, that one. And he's released solo records. And so I went and dug in a little bit to some of his other stuff. And I think a lot of his production hallmarks are on here. And he, in a weird way, he is himself. Perhaps I'm giving him too much credit, but there's a lot of think pieces that I've read in the last couple of years that mentioned his name. So he was kind of on my radar, even though ah. I'm not in this world, that mm -hmm. he's becoming a guy who is shaping modern pop music kind of from behind the scenes. And, you know, I list like he's got a, I think he's got a solo project called Bleachers. He's got fun. 
and he's produced a bunch of people's records, including I think maybe the most recent Taylor Swift record or one of the recent ones or something. I see here that he worked with Lana Del Rey, and I like I'm you know again like not super up on major pop, but I wouldn't have connected those dots, but seeing those side by side that makes perfect sense. There's like a certain melancholy mm-hmm. uh, and a certain approach to I, I think drums that we'll talk about a little bit that definitely a pretty direct line. And St. Vincent's just badass. So if you were like doing stuff with her. Well, you know. yeah. One of, one of my best ways to compliment this record was when I, I wrote down, oh, this feels like St. Vincent to me. Because I think of her as a real, real innovator who's kind of in the pop space, but also kind of in the indie space and kind of in the arts, art music space. But anyway, I think this guy, Jake, Jack Antonoff, if you listen to some of his other music, you'll start to see a through line of how he crafts melodies and how he structures songs and the production that is kind of this it is this kind of slow burn that we talked about. It's sort of intense. I had this experience. This is related, I suppose, or it'll come back around. But I, I really like this band, this rock band called The National. And I saw them live, I don't know, six years ago or something. And it was great. They were great. It's an intense experience. If you know this band at all, you'll know that they're they're kind of down tempo. And the singer's kind of is a baritone. And you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be a super rocking show. The, but the show itself was extremely intense in a way that maybe like shooting heroin into my veins might be intense. Like a, like a freight train picking up speed over my body is intense, you know, like slowly, but unrelentingly. It, it was the performance that, that really hit you or was it like the stage show? I think there's, that, no, I'm not was... talking about the stage show. I'm talking about a certain style of music that is like throbbing and like low key intense, but it builds okay. and it builds and it builds and you get this like intense euphoric reaction. And I think some of the best moments on this record had elements of that. I also, I in my head, I had this cartoon character of Lord, and I don't know if I almost blamed her for what I kind of call the uh, the millennial Novocaine lip syndrome of when you're singing and pronouncing like that's how the modern pop stars think that they're defining their voice or sounding unique is to pronounce words weird instead of singing with tone, timbre. And after listening to the first album and and this album, I think I'm going to give her a pass because I didn't realize she was from New Zealand. And so that might just be <laughs> her <laughs> accent. And when she sings, I, I had a friend when I was playing and we we joked with her that she was the only person that could make the word no have multiple syllables because she'd say no, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> and so we hear it on this album. It's like one of the first 10 words on, on Greenlight, which we'll get back into. She says car, but it's car, you know, it's this crazy pronunciation of car, which drove me insane. But I started to get OK with it throughout the week and actually kind of came to appreciate outside of her pronunciation she has a beautiful voice. She I mean, can definitely a really, sing. really nice voice. She has a really nice low end, a very clean and controlled low end. I remember Fiona Apple, right? A very controlled and clean low, low end, deeper voice. And Lord definitely has that. And I think she uses it really well. I was going to say that's, yeah, that's one of the more interesting things on this record to me is the vocal production overall, both the quality of her voice and how they make use of it in a, this variety of ways. They, they have her up close on the mic, then they have her in this big reverby room, then they have her kind of stacked on top of herself, one in a throat voice, one in a falsetto voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do a lot of really interesting things with it. Now, this album, as I was reading more about it, there were a couple different takes on it. Some people called it a breakup album. 
Some said that it was inspired by a Ray Bradbury short story called There Will Be Soft Rain, which is like an apocalyptic story about a house in a nuclear winter. And then they also said it's a a loose concept album about a party that kind of progresses through the night. I got a couple of those. I got I got the breakup <laughs> album. I got the party because there's a couple of reprises that she did, which I appreciated as well. I, I thought I, the reprises. I like the reprises. Those were they were actually kind of cool, and they fit if you're thinking about the way a party progresses through the night and and the reprise. A lot of them seem to be like regret, like oh god, what the hell did I do with the party? I picked up on one line, which is not on one of the focus songs. One lyric and cadence. And I was like, oh, I think they thought of that and not only build a song around it, but they build an album around it. Do you happen to know what I'm what I'm thinking of? I don't know. Off the top of my head, I got nothing. It was from the song Sober 2 Melodrama. Oh, how fast the evening passes cleaning up the champagne glasses. And I was like, you know what? If I thought of that line, I would have written a song about it too. I, would like, <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> that is a great line. And that's the only time the word melodrama appears on the album as well. Right. All right. So let's jump back into Greenlight, which was the first song on this album. We'll throw in a different part here just to give a little more context, a little more feel on this first tune. So I remember thinking, after I listened to the record once, this was not the song that stood out to me. So then I was a little surprised to go back to Spotify and look at the play count where you can infer what the singles or the hits on the record mm-hmm. were. And I was a little surprised. Now, over over many other listens, I think I understand it more clearly. But it does have a kind of a, maybe it's because what I was expecting and what I had come to think of as pop was big soaring melodies with huge intervallic swings like the aforementioned We Are Young by Fun that has that big intervallic mm-hmm. swing or I don't know, even Katy Perry's Roar kind of has a big intervallic swing, you know, something like that that gives this anthemic quality. I think if there's an anthemic quality to this song, it comes all in that throbbing production. This did, th- This song did some cool things. I think there's actually a key change as it goes into the chorus. So the song starts on F sharp minor, and then they wind up in a G on the chorus, which is just a half step up. So in order mm. to do that, you have to jump around jump around the scale a little bit. So that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Something that also stuck out was the deliberate non-rhyming in like the first 30 seconds. There's, I, I think the, the ending of the lines are cars and bars, and then the next stanza is truth. And she doesn't rhyme truth, she, she says liar. And it sticks mm. out in your head. And I was listening in an interview that they did that on purpose because she thought there's nothing a whole lot worse than being called a liar and that you're expecting something to rhyme with truth. So when they come in with liar, it sticks out in the song. I thought that was pretty cool from a, from a lyrical standpoint. Well, and there's a, that's poetic. There's this poetic symmetry to it. That's not a rhyme exactly, but there's, there's something. See, my take on this song is that this is a bit of like a preview for the record. Right, I think you get a couple of things in this song that'll show up across the record 
Specifically, you'll get sort of like the, I'll say like the dance music, like Pulse, right? Mm -hmm. And Rob, Mm -hmm. I think you're talking about this with the Pulse. You also get like the sort of piano ballad intro and that'll sort of carry throughout. It also has like a sort of like, uh, it's like the drumline thing. I don't know if I want to say it's like islandy or like African, but it's sort of like deeper in the song. Like really is like on the outro really, right? And, and in that way, like this to me, like totally made sense as as the hit to me. Right? And although I'll admit there are a couple of other tunes that also stood out, but for me, like yeah, this was this is this is a great track. And uh, I, I hear what you're saying about the slow burn, Rob, in that like it doesn't soar, and for that reason, the energy builds very differently. Yep. Yeah, spe- specifically, like I like I think the way I like how it builds up to the chorus where they say the green light line, and because and then the air kind of sucks out of the room. Very very influenced by dance music, I think. But I have to admit, I was expecting a bigger, hookier chorus. That's that, maybe that's what my ear was initially responding to. Now now I feel like I like the song because and and I have to say I, I like this record more. Perhaps it's just a truism of pop music. You just need to hear it more times. So definitely, sure, it sure. seems to be getting better at, on each repeated listen. But it's also the context in which you listen to it. I tend to be a lyrics listener. We sort of talked about this on the podcast. But when I, as soon as I tuned out the lyrics and just let the, the emotion wash over me, I like the material much better. Yeah, I can dig that as well. Like I, I, I could see myself as the as the lone old man dancing with my hands in the air when this song came on at a Lord on a concert. light up dance floor. Yeah, on a light up dance floor. Yes, <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> so random note here have you guys heard ever heard of synesthesia yeah, yeah. okay lord has synesthesia and mm. she said that there are certain so for those folks listening i didn't know what synesthesia was but it's where your senses overlap so your auditory sense can actually influence your your sight uh and I, there's probably other versions of that too of, of senses crossing paths and for people with synesthesia, they can see colors either with sound or words. So a syne- someone with synesthesia might look at a, a black and white word and they see different letters and different colors. So Lord was saying that as they were working on this song, there were aspects of it that were flashing green in her mind. Again, I don't know how that appears, if it's a cloud, if she sees like everything goes green. I'm not sure. So that apparently also influenced the the title and the, uh, the chorus. My understanding is that it just has to do with how almost like think about it as how you, how you memorize, how you remember something. It may be a clearer example that I always heard related to music, but it doesn't have to always be related to music in, in the literature. And this is the kind of stuff you read in like Oliver Sacks books, by the way, which are, which are super interesting. If you ever want to go into weird psychological conditions, and anecdotes, the kind of stuff I, I read in college for my degree. But anyway, um, the one I heard was you hear a minor chord and you experience a sour taste. You hear a major chord and you experience a sweet taste. I mean, there are people that have that condition. Wow. That's pretty wild. Now, that's different than when you get the goosebumps or like yes. the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. That's a different yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, because it's actually the senses being wired together. So you, as the person experiencing it, don't don't think that's strange at all. You find it indistinguishable because it's always been your experience. Right. So you go, well, oh, well, 13 is red, obviously. 
Like, right. I don't even know why we're debating this, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you idiots. This song also inspired me to go plug in my sound system. So usually I listen to the week's albums on headphones. Occasionally I'll plug in my, my good studio speakers. And I'm realizing that pop is the perfect genre to listen to with really nice subwoofers and really good speakers. Like that Bruno Mars album, 24 Karat Magic, is phenomenal. Listen to loud on good speakers. This album, same thing. I mean, truthfully, because you have no real analog instruments. Everything is a synth, so you have Mm. super clean, super low, perfect frequencies that, uh, that are optimized really well on a sub, so... If you're bored, there might have been some real <laughs> drums at the end of Green Light. There's a guitar, and there may be, yeah, some some other samples as well. Uh, not a guitar in this song, but there is a, a piano and a guitar somewhere on the album that I think are actual instruments being recorded. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear a guitar on Green Light. It's pretty heavily affected, but I think it's all right. All right, good. <laughs> all right, let's move on to sober. God, I'm clean out of air in my lungs. It's all gone. Play it so nonchalant. It's time we dance with the truth. Move along with the truth. Ooh. Hey, we're sleeping through all the days. I'm acting like I don't see every ribbon you use. This song caught me right off the bat. It's just very odd. It also does something, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but something that I learned about this week, something called an anti-drop. This is where the song builds up. And if you're if you listen to regular pop or just music in general, it builds up to a point and you're expecting the big hit, cymbals crash, loud guitars, loud chords. At the 46 second mark, there's an anti-drop, which means everything's building up and then nothing happens. In fact, Rob, you had mentioned something about the air being sucked out of the room. It also it almost sounds like that's happening. I don't know. I think she could have hit that harder. <laughs> you mean not hit it harder? You mean she, 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 she could have cut she it harder? It. Yeah, exactly. Like digital drop, like stop the recording, yeah, like, I feel delete like the waveform. Like yeah, like I feel like there's like an Alanis Morissette song where it sounded like they like hit stop yes, on the machine yes. that was running to the master and then hit play again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're like, man, that was off. Oh, it's intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I have to admit, yeah, based on your lead in, I was expecting something a little more. In- I almost feel like there might be a better example of that on this record somewhere else, but... But I, I, I agree. I, this is one of the ones I wrote down St. Vincent for because that opening in particular was ear-catchingly strange. You don't hear a lot of stuff like that, that little vocal thing at the beginning. The out-of-tune keys effect made me think also of St. Vincent. So She's a great artist. Go listen to her. What do we think? Uh, what's what's the group take on the Gloria Stefan shoehorned horns? That's a little. That felt out of character, even even for what they were going for. To me. 
it, to me, this felt like the like minor key version of the previous song. Even when we set out the focus list, I was like, I want to make sure these are actually the back-to-back tracks. I think they are. Yeah, for some reason to me, this felt like the also ran to green light. They're like, oh, let's see which one plays better. Yeah, be, because Adam, to your point, this does have a lot of mood and it has a lot of like character development almost, right? Like, it, like this was produced with a lot of seriousness. But I, I yeah. And then Miami like, Sound Machine comes in and just <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I think this song's I like it more the more I play it, I think, but I I do still think it's a little bit boring despite the weirdness in the vocal. The vocal production is what's good though, and this is one of the ones where I really particularly noticed her varying or their varying approach to her vocal style. Probably her varying approach to vocal style as well, which is to say she's up close in the mic where it feels like she's whispering in her ear to this deep cavernous, you know, she's in the high school gym kind of vocal. Mm-hmm. Kind of jumps all around. Uh, you make a great point just about the up-close mic. And this is a really good example of like when they're obviously intentionally like right at breakup on the microphone, especially, you know, towards like the two middle part of the song too. And, and the, whatever she's doing, I guess it's falsetto, but that kind of cartoonish sounding backup that she's doing. Around this Kind of sounds like what she's doing in the beginning with those choppy notes that she's just hitting with her voice. That the backups. It's another interesting thing is I don't know if this is a something that happens in pop a lot is that you don't have other people doing harmonies. Mm. It's the singer only harmonizing with themselves because I only hear her voice point. on this entire album. In, in this case, I really wondered there at the end if that is her singing live or if it's like a sample of her that they're playing. So triggering somehow. I thought it was, but I know a exactly what you're talking about. I thought it was a sample personally, but I also I meant I had this note for Green Light, which we went by, which the backing vocals on the chorus of Green Light. Might, that might be the only time it's not her. Is there another? I don't know if there is actually another vocalist listed, but that didn't sound like her to me. Every other spot on the record, it sounds like her voice. I don't know that the. In, in the credits, if anyone else was listed, the credits for this album crack me up too because on the few songs where there are actual instruments, they're not mentioned on the credits. It's just all producers, engineers, and mixers. And then Lord at the top. I'm like, oh, how the hell is this happening then? But something I also noticed too is that there's no snare hits until the bridge. The entire Ooh, song. I didn't notice that. It's like you've got like this kind of bongo-y sounding thing that's like hitting mm-hmm. on like the the and of two or it's 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 an odd spot and it's not really like the hit that makes you bob your head and then there's like a couple weird snare kind of rolls but then it doesn't actually come in with a boom crack boom crack until until the bridge which i thought was kind of cool makes you work for that snare throughout the song (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's I mean that's real restraint right those are the sort of things like you don't notice until it happens and you're like holy shit he didn't hit the snare drum <laughs> right and I feel like I mean I I think you know coming from a musician standpoint it, you know when you're writing songs and composing songs you might do it by yourself the other four guys but thinking about doing it in a pop environment is just really interesting to me because you have yeah. a person who can sing who might not be 
a musician in terms of like they know chord changes or they know instruments and then you've got somebody who probably knows it pretty well and they're firing ideas back and forth at each other it just it 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 sounds like a unique environment to try to create something in so it might just be that i'm jealous that you know, it is interesting too <laughs> right when that snare drum comes in that's kind of when it goes to like the i mean what what like musical style is this new jack swing like what is this for the last 45 seconds of the song it's yeah. like <laughs> electronic r and B. I have no idea yeah like is this is this bat dance like what is this <laughs> don't make me put bat dance on the mix again <laughs> <laughs> challenge to bring that up every week so that we have a running gag of what, wait bat dance is on the playlist again right but make no mistake Prince is a Prince is a king right <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next song on our focus list. This one is called Liability. Baby really hurt me, crying in the taxi. He don't want to know me, says he made the big mistake of dancing in my store. Says it was poison, so I guess I'll go home. Into the arms of the girl that I love. The only love I haven't screwed up. She's so hard to please, but she's a forest fire I do my best to meet her demands, play it romance We slow dance in the living room, but all that a stranger would see Is one girl swaying alone, stroking the cheek They say, you're a little much for me You're a liability You're a little much for me so this is the one that jumped out to me on the first listen, and I still think I like it the best. It's my favorite song on the record. I think it's the best, most complex, kind of interesting melody and production style combined. Maybe I'm just a sucker for these kind of torch songs. But yeah, I just thought the production was really right on, really supported what she was saying. And this is actually the one where none of the lyrics made me cringe. In fact, the opposite. I thought the lyrics were kind of... Like I don't, I can't say I exactly relate to them, but I right. understand what they're what they're saying, and I believe that it's a real thing. So I felt I felt something uh, in connection to the lyrics. Must be hard to be a a, a powerful or strong minded young woman, you know. Like I I buy that this is a challenge. Yeah, I, I thought this song's great. Like this this uh, I I don't know that it stood out to me on the first run through, but this to me stands out as like this is a great song on paper. You could give this to a different pop star, and it would be a successful like venture. Yeah. yeah. Like this is just a fantastic song. I think it's a great performance. Well, actually you make a great point. I assume Lord wrote this, but maybe Adam can tell us, but I, yeah, like I would listen to three more cover versions of this tune. I feel like it could become one of those things that gets passed around. Sure. It has the, it feels maybe I can say this sounds like a diss to the rest of the record. And I suppose it is intended to be, but it's the only song like that on the record. Mm-hmm. It does, in my mind, it could stand alone with various interpretations of it. So it was written by Lord and uh, Jack Antonoff, the the producer. So I, I don't think anybody else came in and and wrote this one. I think it was the the combination of the two. So yeah, yeah. I'm, please Google Jack Antonoff when you get a chance. Look into closer into his discography. I'm speaking to the audience generally because I I really think he is this kind of burgeoning pop mastermind. I think he's still a pretty young guy, but I believe, yeah, Lana Del Rey, the last couple Taylor Swift albums, Olivia Rodrigo, who's kind of been ubiquitous over the last year, Lord, you know, he's got Max Martin uh, energy almost, you know, he's just turning out number one hits. 
He's under forty, so he's he's doing something right if he's if he's got this uh, this list of folks under his under his name there. Yeah, I thought they did something really cool with the vocal production. This is one of those ones, Phil, you had mentioned, right? Uh, Like she's on the mic. The gain is super Mm -hmm. high. You can almost hear her lips smacking together and it is bone dry. But they start slowly adding reverb onto her vocal as everything else starts to swell. So super dry with piano. And then around the 109 mark, they start bringing in strings or an organ, and you can hear them start to saturate her voice with some reverb. And it's a really nice little trick. And then comes back, goes completely dry again. You're a little much for me. So they pull back, make other plans. I understand. I'm a liability. Get you wild, make you leave. I'm a little much for everyone. So you have these kind of waves, these kind of crests throughout the song where it's super dry reverby super dry reverby i thought that was a cool uh journey through the song as it kind of went up and down i i really like the way you know we sort of talked about her voice and and what a strong singer she is but like in a different way like she's not all over the place she stays in one place and she sort of just owns that place really hard right for a song and i think in this song they do a really interesting job of sort of using her vocal as the the anchor Right. And the verse, right, is sort of wide. Right. You sort of you hear the left hand and the right hand of the piano, there's bass. Whereas then it goes to the chorus, it's all like music box, right? It like jumps up. Yeah. The upper right. register. And it's just a cool part of the performance. But but again, like the voice is still sort of coming right at you, right down the middle, right? Um, like you're saying, with these sort of like uh, these details, right? Like the space is changing with mm-hmm. the reverb. Yeah, it's 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 just really beautiful and, and sort of it's timeless, right? All right, let's keep this train rolling, folks. We're going to move on to the next song on our focus list, Homemade Dynamite. I know you super well, but I think that you might be the same as me. Behave abnormally. Let's let things come out of the woodwork. I give you my best. I tell you all my best lies. Yeah. Awesome, right? So let's let things come out of the woodwork. I give you my best. I tell you all my best lies. See me rolling, showing someone else love, dancing with our shoes off. No, I think you're awesome, right? Our rules, our dreams, we blind. Blowing shit up with homie. notes on this is that it reminded me of Deacon Blues and that it's one of the cheeriest melodies about dying in a drunk driving yeah. accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, that's I, I, do ha- I, I do have a note about the dark humor of, of that line. I get your friend to drive but he can hardly see Ooh. We'll end up painted on the road Red and chrome All the broken glass sparkling I guess we're partying so Alright, so it's, you might get your friend to drive But he can hardly see We'll end up painted on the road In red and chrome All the broken glass sparkling <laughs> Alright, there you go 
It's optimistic. I want to give Lord credit for what I do think is a concept that's running through this, which is the title of the album. That teenagers and teenage feelings and teenage romance are inherently melodramatic. And I do think without overusing that word, she gets, I assume purposely gets that point across in songs like Liability and this. Like every everything is a heightened sense of what's going on. Uh, homemade dynamite is another example. The Louvre is another example to me. And so, I did think it was a good title for the album. I thought that encapsulated what what maybe what they were going for, or at least how they were feeling, with some self awareness. <laughs> this song is terrible. <laughs> she like she's got the built in like the the dynamite stutter. The song is terrible. <laughs> Super pop. Yeah, <laughs> this one never clicked for me. Maybe I'll get there. I don't know, but this one. This isn't I, my. This isn't my low point though. But, but yeah, it's. I don't think it's one of the better tunes, personally. Rob, I should have asked you what your low point was. Is it one of the ones on our focus list? It sure is, Adam. Excellent. All right, we'll get to it in a minute. So there was one thing that I thought. The song would have been hella short, but there's a part in it where she makes like an explosion noise with her mouth. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay, where's that? <laughs> they should have right. just ended it. If they had ended it right there, it would have been awesome. That's her homemade dynamite. But then they go on for like another, <laughs> I don't know, close to a minute of just outro super chorus. I was like, oh, you could have made it like this really cool thing, but I'm not Jack Antonoff. So mm, yeah, I forgot to write an outro, bro. <laughs> so you're Adam. I think you should maybe submit this to Lord and Antonoff. Maybe, you know, maybe there'll be a re release and. 27 it's, right, it's right around the, the corner the remaster yeah. i'm sure there's already been 7000 remixes right isn't that how the yeah, world right. works these days <laughs> yeah, sure. with pop yes absolutely <laughs> all right we're going to keep moving here folks the next song on our list is called the louvre days and nights are perfumed with obsession half of my wardrobe is on your bedroom floor use your eyes thaw hands overboard i am your sweetheart psychopathic crush drink up your movements still i can't get enough i overthink your but punctuation use not my fault just a thing that my mind do Okay, so th- this is my this is my I'm conflicted about this one because I want to call it one of the better hooks because to be fair, this hook was running through my head, but it has some of the biggest cringe moments in it. The indulgence of the the line about being hung up in the Louvre is just a little cringeworthy for me. I get it. She's a teenager, but then specifically the where she follows up what I think of as the pretty good hook, the one that was running through my head. And then she follows it up with the broadcast, the boom, 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 and make them all dance to it. <laughs> well, when you say it like that. I thought that was pretty, pretty terrible. It just, it just like really bumped me out of it because no, but seriously, like, I mean, did you guys like the, am I, am I right about the hook or yeah, what do you guys think? I didn't mind that. You're, I, I can see how you're saying that it takes you out of it, but I actually like the, the cadence of, of how she said that boom, 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 boom. Broadcast the boom, 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 and make them all dance to it. 
So I, I, I kind of dug it. Okay, but then th- this is why this one is a real love-hate song for me because I really love the hook. I hated that delivery. I hated that one line. But then best production choice, best use of restraint on the whole record, the section at the end, which sounds like Be My Baby or some 60s girl group thing. You know, what I don't know what you want to call it. Maybe Maybe it's an 80s thing. But the very first instance of that melody, which you should drop in here, that does not resolve, that's like begging to be resolved, and they hold it off. I dug that. I feel like pop music rarely does that. Yeah, the, the big reverby guitar. Okay. But the first time it comes in, it doesn't do that. And it's almost like painful. I also find it funny too that this is, you know, probably the least danceable song on the album and this one has the boom 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 make them all dance to it right okay well you can't really but you know maybe that's our it does uh, have a real twin peaks outro vibe doesn't it Mm, yeah that's another good one yeah I was going to say that we're firmly in Coldplay territory, like the last minute or so. Oh. In fact, in my... <laughs> uh, no, I'm, 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 I haven't even told you guys this yet, but Coldplay has been plaguing my life recently. Really? In a way I have not shared. So I live on the 35th floor of my building, and it's I guess it's an Asian thing where the elevator in my apartment building plays commercials like while I'm in the elevator. But it only has one commercial, and it's on a 40-second loop, and it has a, it's a Coldplay song snippet with, like, some kids in a rice field or something. I'm not, I have no idea what it's advertising. <laughs> so I have to hear one and a half times the snippet every single time I'm in the elevator, and it's loud, too, man. It's terrible. It's, I, I, like, I put my middle finger up to it every time. I'm, I'm sorry to bring Coldplay back around to you again. <sighs> This also has an example of the millennial whoop. Are you guys familiar with the millennial whoop or the uh, millennial yodel? So there's a, it's a bit of a trope in pop music of jumping from the fifth to the third. The, the, probably the best example would be that song, I Could Use Somebody. Uh, Kings of Leon song. That yodel uh, thing, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. that sure. interval, also in, there's a Katy Perry song. There's this video. If you go look up Millennial Whoop, there's like you know, 40 songs that all use this fifth of the third. Now, I know you can't copyright a fifth to a third. It's been used in classical music. It's used in jazz. But she does do a Millennial Whoop on this. Uh, with, there's an ooh-ah in here that I'll drop uh-huh. in that has that fifth to the third thing. The idea being that you hear it, so now it's instantly familiar and you're more likely to remember it and, and all that stuff. The millennial whoop is generally not over lyrics. It's usually just an ooh or an ah or a dupe or something. And it's a shift in the fifth note in a scale to the third note and then back to the fifth. Hmm. That little interval there is, is what they're calling the millennial whoop because it appeared in, I don't know, Thirty of the forty most popular pop songs in in the last decade. Well, okay, so that's but that is at least part of why I had been thinking 
I, I've never heard of that before, but it's part of why I had been thinking that modern pop music had these big intervallic swings. That's a pretty big jump mm-hmm. in in a singing, in a melody, right? So if that's been all throughout pop music, and, you know, can, can we say millennial, like this is the other side of the millennial curve. Like we're on one, we're kind of on the one far edge of that spectrum, but that's, this is not applied to us. Is that correct? I think that's very fair. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to round things out here, folks. Last tune, Writer in the Dark. To be a good man for someone else. Sorry I was never good like you. Stood on my chest and kept me down. Hated hearing my name on the lips of a crowd. Did my best to exist just for you. Bet you rue the day you kissed a rider in the dark Bet you rue the day you kissed a rider in the dark Now she's gonna play and sing and lock you in her heart Bet you rue the day you kissed a rider in the dark Gentlemen, what say you? I originally had pegged this as my low point of the album. I found these lyrics maybe the hardest to get past, starting with the title. That said, I think if you just really try, it grew on me a little bit. So if I really try to ignore the lyrics entirely, I think it's one of the better melodies and one of the more interesting melodies, which is to say it has a lot of peaks and valleys and maybe more of the more interesting vocal performances. And this is where I'd noticed, although I'm sure they did a couple other spots, the combo of the falsetto and non-falsetto on top of each other. That seems kind of like a hallmark of her style, if you will. And that even when I went back to Pure Heroin and forward to her newer record, I heard I heard a lot of that vocal production. My only note here was that when she jumps into that falsetto range, all I could think of was Edith Bunker. Doesn't sound like a compliment. It, it, it is not. I I thought this was a rehash of Liability, which was great. This just felt like, oh, let's try it again and see if we can get something equally as emotional and as powerful. And it just fell flat for me. Yeah, I, I, I buy that as well. Although my hate toward it softened up a little bit over the week. Yeah, this was just an also rant for me. Like I, I felt nothing for or against this song. Um, it was just filler. All right, folks. That rounds out our deep dives into the album. All we have to do now is kick it around the room to hear what you guys think, whether or not this deserves to be on the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Let's throw things over first to Phil. What are your thoughts? So as you probably gathered from my my rant at the top, this is a pass for me. This isn't a bad record, but it is going to be a no um, I think Pure Heroin is a more interesting listen. Um, again, this isn't a bad record, I do think. Antonov is an interesting character. I'll probably check out more of his work. I might even listen to some of these tunes again. But in my opinion, this is definitely skippable. You know, this is Rob here. One thing we haven't 
brought up here is that right around the time she was hitting the scene from New Zealand, New Zealand is having a moment in our culture. They're like dictating almost all of our entertainment. You got Taika Waititi making Marvel movies, making some of the best comedies over the last six years. You got What We Do in the Shadows, which is sort of a descendant of Taika Waititi and Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords, another musical thing that was going on maybe a little before this. Now you have Lord, don't the Kiwis have enough? (laughs) Their prime minister is also awesome as well, having a moment too. A rock star here. No, they don't no, they don't need this. It's a no, it's a no for me. I think if you're gonna be a young I, listen, I think Lord is definitely an artist to watch. I did ultimately enjoy the record. I like some of the songs. I think it shows promise, and I think maybe some of these songs might even have staying power, particularly liability. I wouldn't be surprised if 20 years from now we're listening to a successful cover of that or something like that. But if you're going to put forward a pretty young in their and especially young in their career pop star as being essential to the musical canon, then I feel like you gotta pass a, a higher bar of complete ubiquity of this music, complete culture changing shit. And nothing on this record has had that effect as far as I can tell. All right. Well this is Adam. I'm gonna be the sole voice of reason and the sole right voice this week and say that it's a yes. I think that her musical journey is pretty cool. I think that you can definitely see progress in an artist that's growing and stepping outside and not just doing a a follow-up to a massively successful first album. And I also, just from a personal note, appreciated this, that I like a pop album. I like a new-ish pop album. That's huge for me, for the old curmudgeon who only listens to classic (laughs) rock and snarky puppy. This is uh, this is something really cool, and I really enjoyed this week. So it's a yes from me. However, I have been outvoted. Lord, so sorry to deliver the bad news that your second album, Melodrama, is not worthy to be on the list. But that's all right. You should still go out and listen to some of her stuff. Uh, as Phil said, Pure Heroin is a fantastic album as well. Uh, it's a great first foray for her into pop having said that we're gonna throw things over to i think rob has got the albinator this week to help decide what we're going to be listening to next week oh that's correct gents and i just flipped that old albinator on i just gotta wait for this cold play commercial to play before (laughs) we can get our result here It's the background for a Zoloft commercial, be honest, right? That's what it is. (laughs) I have no idea what they're selling. (laughs) Anyway. Please video it next time you're in there, and and we'll uh, we'll see if we can can deduce what's going on. Yeah, I actually also think there might be a bad edit in the song, because they wanted to give a little snippet of the pre-chorus and the chorus, and I'm not sure they did it right, but... At this point, I, I've heard it 7,000 times, so I'm not sure what I'm hearing. Okay, let's go ahead and spin that wheel and get our homework for next week. Drum roll, a please. Next week, we will be listening to, oh, Metallica's Metallica, the so-called Black Album. Ah, that's okay. I know it better as the Black Album. Got it. Could All right. Be, make the cover. Of, what's the Spinal Tap thing? Get, can we? Can it be more black? None more blacker. None more black. <laughs> That's what it is. Well, I for one, and I'm excited. This is right. Speaking of generational hits, this is right in my wheelhouse. Personally, I had yeah. this tape when I was a youth. 
this was my introduction to Metallica. Oh, sure. Uh, this, this has uh, Sad sure, But True sure. on there. Obviously, Enter Sandman. So this is a uh, I like how Sad one. But True is the first, the, that's the first hit you went to. There's like seven mega hits on this record. None of them are Sad But True, but... Those snare hits changed my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Enter Sandman, Nothing Else Matters, Wherever I May Roam, etc. Cool. Well, that a should be a hit fun... Machine. Uh, yeah, a hit machine, yeah. Metallica goes pop, I think is the headline. All right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, there you have it, folks. You have your homework for you for next week, Metallica's Black Album. Hey, did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Let us know what you think. Send us an email to 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're, we're always looking for feedback uh, if, if we missed anything crucial or if... If you think I'm right on this one or you think the the guys are right here, I'd love to hear your feedback. <laughs> I really think I'm right on this one, but that's all right. That's all right. We we'll see what the we'll see what the masses have to say. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. So, for 1001 album complaints, I'm Adam, I'm Phil, and I'm Rob. Boosh. 